Today I want to talk to you about living in the new age. Now as I bring up the living in the new age, some people might say, I remember when this kind of came up, the new age movement. And the new age movement was taking a word that's basically our word, the new age, which is the inaugurated by Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead, and taking it. And I was going through that. There are some things that the church needs to reclaim. First of all, the cross. It's not a piece of jewelry, okay? You see a lot of people wearing crosses and sometimes not much else. And so it's like, um, I'm not sure you know what that means, okay? Or you see people with it, or I mean, even that people of hate groups have used it, like burning crosses and things like this. In the name of Jesus, we're burning a cross. No, no, no. That's the symbol of Christ dying on the cross for our salvation and our sins. That's our symbol. Don't take it and distort it. I think also about the rainbow. It's a sign of God's covenant with humanity. This is what the rainbow represented. was God putting a rainbow in the sky. Um, when our children, when I was a kid, we went to rainbows, and that was a big part. It's not a sign of homosexual pride. It's a sign of God's covenant. And that's our, it's like, it's our symbol. I want it back. It's just like, you know, this is something of us. How about the new age? When people talk about the new age, like I said, people will talk about the fact that uh, it should be about the age of salvation that was brought on by Christ through his death and resurrection. It's not about crystals and karma. It's not about your past lives. Okay, that's not the new age. This is the new age. Jesus Christ inaugurating the new age. So when I talk about living in the new age, I'm, I want to reclaim that, like I said, and say this is what it means to be the new age. And there is no other new age on top of that. There is no other, well, we've got something even newer. Well, you might have something newer, but it doesn't mean it's better. The only new age is the one that comes from Christ. The new age of Christ is not under the law, but grace. We have redemption because of what he did for us and not for anything that we have done. In the old age, we had laws that were shadow of the things to come, but now we have the new age of Christ. The previous section we talked about last week was about not letting people from an old age put unnecessary rules on people and telling them they're not part of the people of God because they don't fit with the old age. It, it used terms like don't let anybody pass judgment on you and say that you're not a follower of God because you don't follow some rule that was for a certain time period that doesn't even exist anymore. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't let people put rules on you like don't taste, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Or set super spiritual rituals and say, unless you do these things, you're not a part of the body of Christ. He says, because those are part of the old age, the things that have passed away. There's a new age that is coming into, into place, and that is the new age in Jesus Christ. Now, as I preached this sermon last week, I was thinking to myself, basically, you could take what was last week and say, sweet, I can do whatever I want. I can just say, you can't put any rules on me. I can do whatever I want because it says, don't tell me, do not taste, do not touch, do not do this. There's no, you just can do whatever you want. And I think Paul's aware of that too because he quickly moves from, don't let anybody disqualify you to this section that we're going to talk about today is the fact that, there, that we need something to stop sin in our lives. He said in verse 23, that the old rules that were set up for people, and sometimes we think if we just set up enough rules, people will stop doing sinful acts. Those rules, he says in verse 23, they are no value stopping the indulgences of the flesh. We can set up all kinds of rules, but without a heart change, nothing's going to change in us. 
we're going to be the same old person. We have a new standard of life, and we have a new way of living based on the new age. We are no longer part of this world. We are no longer in, in prisoners to this world. We are now saved by grace. So let's look at the Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and I just want to talk to you about what it means to be living in the new age. First of all, we need to understand why we can live differently in this new age. If you look at verses uh, 1 through 4 in Colossians 3, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, when Christ who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He brings up a passage, he started in verse 20 and 23, where he talks about that we have died with Christ, which means the old world, the old uh, us, the parts of us, that the sinful desires, the sinful everything that is in us has died. And he restates this in verse 3, that we have died to the old world, to the old age. He, he now moves on to the implications by saying, but we have risen to a new world. We didn't just die to the old world, because a lot of times I think people think of Christianity, they say, basically Christianity is dying to anything that's fun. It's losing your sense of humor. It's what you give up. You give up this, you give up all the good stuff, you give up that, and then you just wait for Jesus to return. You grip on and go, please God, come soon, because we're really bored. Okay, we had to give up everything that was good. That's not what he's saying. He says, you are risen now with Christ. Not only did you die to an old world, which was bad for you, but you're now risen with Christ in this new age. We belong to this new age. Nothing we'll, we do will cause this to happen. That's the thing we need to understand. It says, if you have been raised in Christ, which is a matter of fact, not a goal. You see that? You have, not, you have been raised with Christ. It means you have been transformed. You may not feel transformed today. You may have had a morning and say, I don't feel very transformed, but it, in reality, God has transformed you if you are a part of Christ, if you've allowed Christ into you. And he gives us two commands. He says, if you are part of this new age, then you need to do the two commands. They're in verse 1 and verse 2. This is, seek the things that are above and set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. He appeals to our minds and our will. He doesn't say, here's a bunch of rules for you. He says, start to act like who God made you. Start to think on the things of God. Start to contemplate what it means to be a Christian. Don't worry about the actions. Worry about putting yourself in tune with what God wants. He says, deliberate contrast to legalistic methods in eight, verses 8 through 23 that talked about bodily actions. He says, that we're not going to talk about those until you get your mind and your will in tune with Christ who is making us a new creation. For if you're not in tune with Christ, you're not going to do Christ-like things. If your mind is not thinking on Christ, you're not going to do Christ-like things. You may try. You may try to force yourself. You may try to guilt yourself. You may feel bad every morning. But until your mind and will starts to be in tune with God, nothing's going to change. When we focus and understand on who we are in Christ, our actions start to follow. When you realize that in Christ is this life, and in your old life is this life, 
and you realize who you are in Christ, you realize what he has done for you, actions start to follow, and a sinful life starts to fall away. Concentrate who we are in Christ to overcome temptation and sin. It's Colossians 1.9 says that he asked that you would be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That was the prayer that he said at the beginning. He said the old way of regulations concentrated on not making the body do things, not on the heart and mind change. And so what do we need to set our minds on? What do we need to do to make a change? First of all, things that are above and not things that are on earth. Where, and it says also where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. First of all, if you look at where Christ is at the right hand of God, it says that he controls the world. God controls the world. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He knows what is best for you. He reigns and rules. Thus, when we set our minds on God, we set our minds on the good things and the best things. If I offer you the opportunity to eat at the finest restaurant or to go dumpster diving at a fast food restaurant, which do you do? I'll pay. Okay, it's free. Any restaurant you're like, hmm, let's go dumpster diving. And, a, and something that was thrown out last night. No, but that's what we do if we choose anything besides Christ. He is the fine, he's the greatest. He rules everything. He has everything under control. Why would we choose anything but him when we realize who he is? When we realize that he has conquered. When we realize that he was tempted in all ways. It even talks about his life and his character. Um, and we also, he, his unique blend, is uh, an author put, of love and strength that he showed in his life. That's the kind of person we want to be because we realize that Christ is the best. I remember when I was a basketball coach, um, I would always have to hand out the numbers for all the kids. And every kid would fight over who got to be number 23. Because that was Michael Jordan's number. So I'd always never give any kid the number. I was always mean. Because they'd always fight over it. That's why I just said, okay, 23 doesn't, I want to be 23, I want to be 23. Because they thought if they wore 23, and it's still amazing that Michael Jordan to this day, I think there are still people who think if you wear Michael Jordan's shoes, somehow magically you're going to be able to dunk. Okay, you may be 5'2 with absolutely no ups, but if you put on Michael Jordan's shoes, man, you can fly. All right? But we need to think of it this way. We need to be clamoring and say, I saw what Christ did. I saw who he is. I want to be like him. Let me put on him. Let me put on Christ and not this world because what he did was, is amazing. And what he continues to do is amazing. Why am I bothering with these other numbers? Why am I bothering with these other things when I can have Christ? And then he gives examples of why. He says, For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. Verse 3 and 4. When Christ, who is in your life, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So he basically uses the word for here to say, here's the reason you should be concentrating, and here's the reinforcement of the commands. Our status of Christ in a nutshell, we belong to a new age. We belong to a new age, but guess what? The old age is still out there. This is the part when he's talking about your life is hidden in Christ. It's what happens in our life today is sometimes the people that look like they're the winners are not the winners. And the people that look like the losers are the winners. The people that have turned their life over to Christ will sometimes be heaped on abuse. And he would talk about this. And they would be and told, you're missing out on life. You're this, you're that. You'll take, they'll take punishment. And he's saying it's hidden in Christ. People aren't always going to see it. 
But he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory, and then everyone will see that this is the right way. So right now, you should know that the way you are living is the proper way, even though the world does not rec recognize it because it's hidden in him. In fact, sometimes, have you ever talked to somebody and whatever they recommend, I don't know if you have any friends like this, you say, I want to go see a movie. Then there's some people that you talk to and when they say what movie they, they like, you like that. But there's other people you talk to and if they say they like a movie, it instantly goes into not going to that. Okay? Because they just have opposite tastes that you do. All right? You just know this. And so basically, in the new he's talking about this, that um, we will look wrong to certain people. We will look, and when the world says that something is right, we should say, we should question whether it is right. Because we should say, the world is, is promoting this as this new wonderful thing, we should all do it. You should say, that kind of gives me a pause to say this may not be the right thing. Because the Bible talks about that the things of God are hidden. That they're not the most obvious to people. That people would rather follow their own desires, their own passions, their own evil desires. We're going to talk more about that later. So we need to base our lives on the fact that we have died, been risen, and awaiting a coming king. And this is the basis of our lives of holiness and maturity in Christ. We have died with him, we have been raised with him, and someday we're going to be in glory with him. Start living like the person that you're supposed to be, that you are right now. And then Paul moves into how we break from the past in the new age. See, verse 5 through 8, he really goes after, and he says, these are the things that are part of the old age. And he uses negative terms like put them to death. Notice he does not say, you know, why don't you work on not doing these a little bit? Keep trying, it's okay. He says put them to death. That's a pretty harsh term. All right? If you went to afford a judge and you were speeding and he said just put them, put them to death, you'd be like, well, that's a little extreme. All right? I was going 35 and a 30. I don't know if that's the death penalty. <laughs> And so when you see this, you should take it seriously. He says, now put them, put them all away. These are things that have no business in your life. And there are going to be two lists that are given. One list is going to talk about sexual sin and one on anger. And it, basically, these are the common ways that Christians stray away from God. Christians like, one thing that I, I learned when I was studying this is Christians like to emphasize the list that they, have the, that they have the most success in, success in. So in other words, well, we don't have any sexual sin in our lives, but we sure are angry and gossip a lot. Or we, we, we're really good about being nice to each other, but we sure have sexual whatever going on. So in other words, whatever we struggle with, we like to concentrate on, well, we don't struggle with that, so we're doing better. And so we need to make sure that we put both of these. There is no room for these behaviors in the Christian life. So first, you look at verse 5. He says, put to death that which is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Holiness requires death to the old ways. We need to concentrate on death, uh, on the death and the, and go of the earthly. Therefore, shows that this command is based on the prior statements. Who we are at Christ, who will be at his return, should let us know that there's a different standard in our life. It literally says, put to death any member of your body that is causing you to sin. Put to death those things. And he emphasizes sexual sin. Now, as a pastor, we go two ways on this too. 
If you talk about uh, too much about sexual sin, people will say, man, you guys are hung up on this. Just let it go. We get it. We don't listen, but we get it. Okay? We get it. But you know what? Sexual desire, first of all, it's hardwired into our life and human psyche. It's part of life. And it's not evil in itself. But the, the moral indifference of this age and it fueled uncontrolled erotic obsessions and passions and misdirected sexual desire. Also, just for the record, I'm not the one who emphasizes all the time. Paul's the one who emphasizes all the time. So if you look at his list, sexual immorality shows up a lot. Why? Because it seems like one of the things that the churches that he was dealing with had trouble getting rid of in their lives. It seems like something that keeps tripping people up. Their sexual desires and their sexual immorality keeps tripping them up. So he keeps coming back to it. So when a pastor preaches on it, I have to tell you, I have no choice. The Bible says I have to. So if you don't like it, well, you can talk to Paul. Um, so he talks about this, and it's something that needs to be weeded out of the habits of converts in the churches. It's something that we need to address. So he, he kind of breaks down the levels here. He talks about sexual immorality, which is any sex outside of marriage is wrong. Anything that's outside of marriage, there is no sexual that can happen outside of marriage. He just says it's sexually immoral. He just breaks it down. And it's only between a man and a woman in a marriage is that sex is proper. He's very clear on it. And he says, but then he goes further and he says, in, in impurity, and it, he, he says, where does impurity come in? He says, this is the uncleanness of character as a result of the immorality. He says, as a result of your immorality, as a result of taking sex outside of marriage, you make yourself impure and you make the person you have sex with impure also. You know, he's getting, out, he's getting personal. And then he says, how about evil desire? It's the state before lust when temptation is not a sin. When we do not put the temptation to death, he says, your evil desires that you have, you need to put those to death too. And he says, you need to put away your covetousness. This is your unchecked hunger for physical pleasure. Basically, he says, I deserve this. I covet this. This is what I deserve to have. And it's far more specific than evil desires. And the covetousness leads to idolatry, which is putting at the center our desires that are not of God, seeing something else as the source of life. That we are putting this as our thing. What drives us? We need to have our sexual desires taken care of. It doesn't matter if we're living for God, but you know what? I have to have my sexual desires taken care of. That's idolatry. He is saying that's idolatry. You're putting something else instead of God. If God says don't do it and you do it, you're worshiping that instead of God. You're worshiping your desires. And he's just laying it straight out. And he, what's interesting about this, he's saying these sins and vices will kill us unless we put them to death. He is very clear about this. He's going to talk about later. We need to cut off their lines of supply. We need to tack it at the early stages. Find out what is causing us to go astray and kill it. In other words, find a way to stay away from these things. Find a way to not let temptation be bred in our life. Find a way. I, I had this, this is always the one when I was a youth pastor. I had a young man come up to me. He says, I have a girl naked in my bed. How do I not have sex with her? And I said, we need to back up a lot. <laughs> because we get to this stage and we say, well, we should just be able to handle this. No, 
put it to bed earlier. Get it away from your life. Get it out of your life. Unfortunate use of term there, put it to bed. Um, <laughs> put, it, put it away, okay? Don't let sexual temptation rise up in your life. Don't look at women or men as sexual objects. Look at them as children of God. He's going to talk about later that Christ is in all. And one of the most helpful ways that we can do this is when we look at people as Christians and we look at them as uh, believers in Christ, as people that Christ loves, we should treat them the way Christ would want us to treat them. And we, when we see Christ in them, we start to treat them as people and not just objects of our sexual desire. He lays out a strong case for this. And he says, on account of the wrath that is coming. And on account of this, you should not do these things. Now, the wrath of God is a necessary reaction to true of true holiness to, to, the, to uh, the wickedness of this world. But here's the thing. The wrath that comes upon you is not wrath that God's up in heaven going, they're having too much fun. I think this is the way to go. I'm going to spank them. Okay, I think we kind of think that. It's kind of like with our parents. You know, no fun. They just don't want us to have any, you know, they just don't want us to have any good times and God doesn't want us to have any good times. That's why he says we can't have sex outside of marriage. No, what God is saying is the wrath of God to come, the biggest wrath, there's two things in this. There's the wrath today and there's the wrath that is coming. In, your, in, the, bio, in the text, it does not show both of these. But the wrath today is if you take part in sexual immorality, you are causing damage to yourself right now. The wrath of God, the wrath of that sin is already starting to break you down. If we choose sin instead of God, we become less and less human and it destroys the image of God in us. We, we make the people that we're having sex with less and less human and destroy the image of God in them. The wrath of God starts to come onto us. We start to be less of what we're supposed to be. The constant term here is dehumanizing. We emphasize... The, it, the emphasis here is on the personal wrath on us. One author put this way, those who choose to live without God will find one day that they have forfeited their likeness to him. In other words, we start to lose that love of God. We start to lose the spirit of God within us because we have decided that our way is better. And the wrath of God comes on it. Yes, there's going to be punishment for sin, but the punishment for sin starts right now when the effect that it has on us. And I think if we look around in our society, the fact of what sexual immorality has brought into our society, we can see the degradation that has taken place in our society. We can see what it has done to relationships. We can see what it has done to families. If people have said, I had people come up to me and said, even using spiritual terms, I believe God is saying that I should be with that person rather than my wife, and God is telling me that. And I want to say, no, he's not, because the Bible doesn't say that. So I can just be very clear with you. But I need to have, that my sexual desire needs to be taken care of. I, I am too much, you know, live the way God has called you to do. Don't let the personal wrath come upon you. It's going to destroy you. And then he goes on, verse 7 and 8, he says, in these you once walked when you were living in them. He talks about the fact that this is your old life. This is who you used to be. And who you used to be is not who you are today. So stop acting like th that that's the way you should be. You were living them. Your life consisted of these things. You were in generally in that area. And then now in verse 8 and 9, he starts to move into things that are involved with anger and attitude. 
He says, but now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, but now is, is classic Paul way of saying, this, your old life used to be these things. Your new life does not have them in it. When these start, sins start to come to you, put them out. That's what he's saying right there. Put them away. Get them out of your life. He's using terms like wrath, or he's using terms like uh, put to death. Now he says put them out of your house. It's basically the equivalent of somebody coming into your house that's an unwelcome robber and just saying, get out of my house. You don't belong in my house. And he says when anger, malice, wrath, all these things come in, get them out because they don't belong in your life. I also like this. It's far easier to drift into a sin which one does not know by name than consciously to choose one whose very title should be repugnant to a Christian. In other words, you need to understand that these are sins that need to be avoided, and we need to have them in our life. So it talks about anger, basically the state of a smoldering and seething hatred. Wrath, when this state breaks out into actual angry deeds or words. Malice, evil intended to cause hurt. Slander, saying things behind people's back or speech which puts malice into effect. And the word here that he uses for malice is blasphemy. Do you, and he uses a very strong term. When you talk about somebody behind their back or when you slam them or lie about them, you are blaspheming them. And you say, that's only for God. Yes, you're blaspheming somebody that God has created in his image. And I read that and I went, ow, that hurts. He says, think of what you're doing to one of God's creations. He uses that exact term for that. Obscene talk. Words by with their association or abusive intent contaminate us. And he says, from your mouth, all should not be from your mouth. Stop them before they come to your lips. We cannot always stop thoughts. This does not say never have an angry thought. Because if you never have an angry thought, you're not living. Okay? This, I'm just saying. You, all these things. But what he says at the end, it all comes down to things that come out of your mouth. Because things that are in your head... We all need the filter, and we all know people that don't have the filter working, okay? That they're just speaking out loud everything that comes to their mind. If you speak everything that comes to your mind, you're in a lot of trouble because there are going to be bad things that come to your mind. There are going to be horrible things that come to your mind. You're like, where did that come from? But what you need to do is say, hey, that's not right. I'm going to put that out of my mind. Instead of, hey, wait a sec, maybe that is true. Maybe I should start thinking about that more. Maybe I should let that build up in my life. Maybe that hatred's really... No, put it out of your mind. When you start thinking poor things about another person, when you start thinking of slander, when you start thinking of obscene things, you start thinking of bad things, put it out of your mind. All should be dealt with harshly before they are expressed. In other words, the harshness should not be how you talk to somebody else. The harshness should be what you deal with anger in your life. Like, get out. That's where your anger should be, is towards your anger. Kind of an interesting thing, right? That's where you should be harsh. Not towards other people. When other people do something stupid, get mad at being mad. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, you want to be mad at something? Be mad at that. And say, that's not who I am in Christ. That's not the kind of person God has called me to be. And he puts it next to me. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Some of the worst things that come from our mouth, he puts this specifically, is the fact that when we start talking, you talk about slander, but when we start lying. And why do we lie? To make ourselves look better. Because we don't want to tell the truth. Did you, did you get that project done today? Sure. 
yeah, I did that. Were you completely honest today? Okay. I mean, we have different ways of putting it. We have different ways of twisting it. In fact, I was reading one article that there's a lot of businesses that worry about having Christians in their organization. There's some business people that have talked about it because they say they really want people that are willing to stretch the truth a little bit to make a sale. Okay, but let me ask you this. You have a Christian who makes a sale to you and he's completely 100% honest with you. Do you get a return customer? Yes, I think I'd rather have that person. But there's a lot of people and there's a lot of businesses that'll ask you to lie. They'll ask you to say, you know, hey, those, I mean, I used to work at Hardee's. We used to have to put a number on the cheeseburgers that were up there and the number would say when we had to throw them away. Well, there were some managers that were very creative with the numbers. Those burgers had been sitting there for a long time. Uh, we got across, oh, all of a sudden those are now longer up there. Okay, and when I was asked to do that, I said, I can't do that. Well, you should do this for us. No, you don't, you don't lie. You don't do things like that. And he says, now don't lie to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practice. Now put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is very vital, verse 10. He says, the only way you're going to do any of this stuff is putting off the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You only have hope when Christ does something in your life. You want victory over anger? It comes from the renewal of the image of the creator in your life. It does not come from you just learning five different techniques. Now, there's nothing wrong with learning, learning anger management techniques. I get that. But until you start to look at other people as worthwhile people that, are not, that should not feel the wrath of your anger, nothing's going to change. When you are renewed into the image of the Creator, who, if anybody had reason to be mad at somebody, it was Jesus. They treated Him like garbage. Do you realize how bad they treated Jesus? And how many times do you see Jesus just lashing out at people? Well, He's Jesus. Yes. And Jesus is in you. So guess what Jesus wants you to do? Now, not only does he want you to do it, it says that he is working in you. He is putting off the old family and putting on the new family. We are patterned on the ideal. He gives us the procedure, but he also gives us the power and the strength to do it. We need to call out to God, God, I am angry and I want to let it go. Really, really bad. And God's up there going, totally understand especially jesus why i love the the line that i always come back to jesus who was tempted in every way without sin we need to realize the fact that jesus felt all of these feelings and understands when we have them and then the next thing is that we need to understand verse 11 that here we there is not greek or jew uncircumcised and circumcised barbarian scythian slave free but christ is in all and all in all basically i will summarize it in this Racism, sexism, anything like that has absolutely zero place in the faith. We look out at the group of people that are here and we realize that we are all different. We realize, he does not say there is, well, I've heard people say there's no male or no female. This is the verse in Galatians. Well, guess what? We still have separate bathrooms, okay? We, there are differences between male and female. I like that term. There's still difference between slave and free. There's still difference between a barbarian and a Greek and all of these different racial and ethnic breakdowns. But what we need to say is, you're different than me, we're, we're fine. I love you, and you're different than me. I'm going to love who you are. 
that there is no place because it says Christ is all, Christ is the God of everything, and Christ is over all, and he's in all. In other words, Christ does not distinguish between people. There is not heaven for white people or Norwegian people or this people. There is no place for that in the church because there's no place for it in heaven. If we put our thing, minds on the things of heaven, there is no place for it here. He is universally significant to all. How we treat each other is how we treat Christ. We need to have that as a term. Because if Christ is truly in somebody, if Christ is truly in that person, how you treat them is how you treat Christ. You are taking that to an extreme. The next thing that he talks about is our embrace of life in the new age. And this is read verses 12 through 17. He says, put on that. He's talking about all the things to put off. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Basically, there's a whole mood change. He's like, here's all the stuff you need to put off. Racism, anger, malice, sexual immorality, you know, not treating people right doing all these things, put them all away. Now he says, just for the record, I'm not just about the no's. A lot of times people look at Christianity and they say, it's all about the things you can't do. He says, here's the thing you're supposed to put on. He says, take away your old rags, the old rags of your old life. Put them, burn them, basically is what he's trying to say. Burn the old rags, don't leave them around. And then put on the new clothes. Why? Because you are God's chosen one, you're God's holy one, and you are beloved by him. You are worthy to put on these new things. Now start acting like the person that you are. People have said, start acting your age or start acting who you are. Start acting like a follower of Christ that has been redeemed by him because you are worthy of that. They're, they're worlds apart in these two different sections. Why do we move to this new lifestyle? Because again, we are holy and beloved. We are God's chosen people. These are terms from the Old Testament that says that we have been bonded into the true Israel, the body of Christ. We are part of God's kingdom. And also, we need each other. He's going to talk about many things that are going to happen in this thing because we need to gather together. There is no such thing, and he's going to show it here, as being a Christian individually, staying home and saying, I'm going to watch TV and I watch TV for church because church is about being together as a community of believers. Because the only way we can do, not do what happened in the early verses and do what he's going to talk about in these later verses is when we are bound together. So the first thing he says, put on then. He says then because of what happened before. As God's chosen ones, and he's going to give these three things, or five things, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We are set apart for him. And he urges them to put on. And here are the five things. First of all, we're supposed to have compassionate hearts. 
We're supposed to have deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others. In other words, when you meet somebody, find out what's going on with them. Find out what their life is about. Reach out to them. With kindness, looking out for others. Genuine care, again, for the desires and needs of other people. Even if you don't agree with them. Find out what's going on in their life. You may walk away going, that was weird. Okay, I'm just saying that can happen. You can genuinely care about somebody and still think they're weird. I'm just letting you know that that's okay. Now, don't say they're weird. Don't tell other people they're weird. But you may feel that way. You may feel that way after talking to me. Wow, that guy's weird. I still care about him because God's in him. Christ is in him, and so I still care about him. But he's weird, okay? And, and it, that's the difference. With humility towards others. In other words, don't you put off your own needs for the sake of other people. And you say, well, why would I do that? I need to get mine. Yeah, like Jesus did when he put himself on the cross for you. Um, um, yeah, Jesus decided to not have his own needs met and decided to say, I'm going to put myself on the line for other people. In, cult, in their culture at this time, self-boasting was an act of honor. In the Greek culture at this time, you'd walk around telling everybody how great you were. And that was the way you did things. And he's basically saying, humility. This went in the face of Roman culture, Greek culture, everything. He's saying, don't look at yourself first, look at others before yourself. And what are the effects of this? He says, if we are meek, which means the, of humility in our approach to others, we're going to put off the rudeness and arrogance. If we're patient, we're going to, have, we're going to um, show kindness to one another and put off resentment and anger and endure wrongs from other people. We're going to have times that we're going to have to endure wrongs. And there, what's funny also is in verse 13, he's very honest. He says, you're going to have to bear with one another and you're going to have complaints against each other and you're going to have to forgive each other. What does that tell us? That the first things that he just said aren't going to be 100%. When you come to church, people say, well, I came to church, I expected everybody to be loving and caring and meek and not have any problems and only look at... He says, basically, you're going to have some problems with some people. Guess what you have to do if you have a problem with somebody, even if they're out of line? You need to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So in other words, well, that person was mean to me. So you know what I'm going to do? Be mean back to them. No. You have to forgive them. But you don't understand how mean they are. The Lord says you have to forgive them. If somebody has a complaint... You have to bear one another. When it says bearing one another, it really means bearing one another. You've been around these situations where you're with somebody and it's a struggle. Okay? When you're in a community, when you're in a a body of believers, there are going to be times when you're going to be bearing another's burdens and it's not going to be easy. But you still need to do it. And forgive old and new complaints. If you had a thing, say, I'm a Greek, I can't be with a Scythian. And you may say to yourself, well, who could be with a Scythian? Uh, but basically a Scythian by this time was the barbarians that lived way out there. And these are the worst of the worst. And he's uh, trying to say, you know what? If you have old prejudices, old complaints from your old life, you don't get to carry them in. Well, I don't like those kind of people. Hmm, guess what? We're all in Christ now. You can't hold that anymore. Ouch. I can't be a racist anymore. I can't be uh, against a certain group of people. I can't hate Canadians. I mean, I just, no matter how much we want to, God doesn't let us. 
All right, just be very careful about that. And we need to understand that. But the whole thing is that we are in Christ now. And we need to let the complaints go. And he says, above all, put on love, he says, in perfect harmony. The only way that this is going to happen, the only way that harmony is going to exist is as if you have perfect love. This is what happens when you have a baby. All right? If, if you haven't had a baby or if you see a baby, when they cry at 3 in the morning, the only reason you get up to be with them is because you love them. Not because you want to be up at 3 in the morning. Exa- am, I, am I correct about this? Or does anybody else just enjoy the sound of a crying baby at 3 a.m.? Do you, I mean, I can, we can get you a little you know, uh, thing that can go off on your phone at 3 or whatever. Just wake you up every few hours. And, okay? But what we do, we do it out of love. When we love somebody, we bear their burdens. When we love somebody, we do go above and beyond, and we care about them. And Christ's love is in us. We should love each other. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have been called in one body. With this love and effect, the result should be peace. Peace of Christ with others, not the internal peace. This verse has been taken out. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts means the peace with other people at this time. It's not peace with Christ. It's peace that Christ gives you to be with other people. And sometimes the only peace you're going to have with other people is the fact that you're both Christians. The fact that you're both in Christ. Because people are going to do things that are different than you. They're going to do things that are odd to you. But we can have a hope in one body. And then he says that you should have a teaching role. He keeps going. He says that we should all be looking out for one another, teaching and admonishing each other with love in all wisdom. And one of the things he calls us to do, and this is a tough one for all of us that can't sing, is we are supposed to be in all wisdom singing songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. That we all have a purpose that when we come to church that we are supposed to give thankfulness to God We're supposed to hear from the teaching and admonishing, but we're also supposed to sing to God our praise. Now, if you can't sing, I tell you this. This is my theory on this. God created you that way. He loves it. All right? He's not up in heaven going, wow, that is bad. (laughs) Wow. And I would just say, the angels are like, hey, you created that guy. Don't. (laughs) But he's up in heaven going, I don't care if you can sing. But you know what you do by doing this? You show the attitude and you teach those around you what's important to you. You sing along to a song. You may be hearing your favorite song from, the, from a certain era and you're singing along like in, the, in your car going crazy, just loving it. Just reach out to God with your voice and praise to him. And whatever you do, He answered with this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He brings to the end this whole section by saying this, If you come in somebody's name, here's what you are. You are representing that person. So if I come in the name of this person, if I can name a person here, if I come in the name of Jordan, Pastor Jordan, I say, I come in the name of Pastor Jordan. What that means is I come in his name, which means I speak for him. And I represent him. And what I do makes him look good or bad. So if you've ever been a part of a business where you're driving around a truck with a business on the si- name on the side and you're driving like a maniac, what does that make you think about that business? You see somebody that's just crazy in there and just, you know, maybe they're just, you know, whatever they're doing in there, you're like, well, that's a bad representation of that business. 
We are representing Christ in everything that we do. People are looking at us and say, represent Christ. But he also says, we are also empowered by that person. This is the key. If we're representing God, he'll give us the power to do what is necessary to represent him well. It's not like we're just going to have, you know, go out and be like Christ. Without any hope that we have, he says, you know what? You need to have the power to do it. It checks our behavior. When you're around somebody, you should be thinking, is this the way Christ would handle this? It should check our behavior. When you're in a sexual situation and your sexual desires are going crazy, say, is this the way Christ would want me to treat this person and treat my own body? When you're thinking about Jesus in that situation, it really does change the mood, okay? Just going to throw that out there to you. And it should. If you're in the realm of marriage, it should change the mood in a, in, a, in a sexual way. It should change the mood away from a sexual way outside of marriage. Because you're thinking about how I'm treating that person in Christ. If you're angry with somebody, you should say, is this the way Christ would treat them? It should start to change your mood. Because I'm representing Christ and also the empowerment that he gives. And give thanks to God through the Father, through him. And as we're giving thanks to God, we can say, thank you, God, for helping me to do these things by helping me to be different than the way I was, from helping me to throw off the old life and put on the new life. God, help me in everything that I do to live in this new age. Put off the old age and live in the new age. Why don't you stand with me right now? If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never made him the master of your life, today is the day to make that commitment. Today is the day to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when we, when the Bible is very clear, if you are outside of Christ, you are a slave to sin. You have no way to overcome these sins. When these sins pop up, when the anger and malice, when the sexual immorality, when the, when the wrong sexual desires outside the, in the wrong realm, when they pop up, if you're outside of Christ, you have no way to stop them. And you're also having the wrath of God come upon you by the fact that you're destroying your life. You're, ca- you're breaking down relationships. You're breaking down relationships, whether it's sexual sin or whether it's anger and gossip and lying. You're breaking down your life. You're going further and further away from the person God wants you to be. You're becoming less human all the time. You're being dehumanized by sin. The enemy is just toying with you and making you a puppet. That's not who you're called to be. You're called to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're called to be in the image of God. You were created, you were called, you were chosen. You were supposed to be something better. And God wants that for you today. So if you're here today, you've never made that commitment to him, you need to make that commitment. I want my sins forgiven. I want to change my life and be the person God has called me to be. Because I want to be the best. I want to be the person God has called me to be. I want to be a true human being that's living the best life. But for everybody else who's here, as I went through these lists of sins, they're not all inclusive. But what we need to understand is all of these sins are going to keep popping up. The reason Paul picks these sins are these are ones that come up. Almost everybody I've talked to, they struggle in sexual issues or their anger or their attitude. It's just like, man, we can just fit into it. And some, both, I mean, it's just like, these are things we all struggle with. But God says to put off the old ways. Don't flirt with the old ways. Don't let them in your life. Put them away. 
put them to death, give them a funeral ceremony. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to put myself in situations where I'm alone with somebody of the opposite sex that I realize my sexual desires may get out of control. Do what Joseph did. Run. That's always one of my favorite things. Joseph was being propositioned by a woman. We, I think that he was saying, well, maybe this could work. He just said, get out. Okay? If your anger is getting the best of you, sometimes you've got to do the same thing there. And understand the fact that you're representing Christ and start to think on the things of Christ. Put your mind on the things of Christ. Be thankful for the things of Christ. And when we do this, Christ comes in us and transforms us and changes us into his image the way he wants us to be, his perfect example. Let him do his work in you. Do not get in the way because he wants only what is best for you. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you today. I thank you today, God, that you have, you have transformed us. God, that you have, we have died to our old life. We have risen to a new life in you, God. We can put off the old ways and put on the new ways, God. And God, we want to be the, a church, God, a community of believers that is a community where we bear one another's burdens, God. That we, we help one another when it comes to dealing with their sins in their lives that we're there as an encouragement for them, God. We're there to help them to live the life you've called us to do, knowing, God, that by doing this, we're giving that person the life that you've called them to be, the best life that they can have, God. A life that is fully human, fully complete in you, God. We just pray now, God, that you give us opportunities during this Christmas season to draw closer to you, God, but also to bring others to your glory. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now go and connect with one another.